0: All right, let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for the series that Brian Hand brought on uh, the lessons from the lesser kings in your word, and we pray that you'll help us to profit greatly from those in the uh, coming days. Now we look forward to switching even further back in the Old Testament, back to the foundation of everything we believe, the, the law. And specifically, the book of Leviticus. Help us, I pray, to profit from this in a way that only you, through your Holy Spirit, can produce in our lives. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're back again. Uh, We spent about six months last year studying Leviticus. We got up through chapter 11 Uh, And, of course, in chapter 11, we have the laws of cleanness and uncleanness relating to what we eat. God wanted his people to be set apart for him even in the food they ate. Do you think nothing in the Christian life is important? Do you think God is ambivalent about even the smallest aspect of our lives? Well, I don't think that would fit the pattern of Leviticus. In the pattern of Leviticus, God is interested in everything we do. Okay? Not just some things. And so, here we go. We're going to go back now to the laws of cleanness and uncleanness. We're done with chapter 11. And here we go into chapter 12 and following. But just by way of review, the message of Leviticus overall is extremely important. Uh, What I recommend in your personal Bible study is that you pick a book of the Bible, you spend some time reading that book through, and you develop an idea that seems, in your mind, as you familiarize yourself more and more with a book, you develop an idea of just exactly what the overall theme of the book is, or at least if you can't come up with the theme, you can come up with an important one anyway. And this then helps you integrate everything you study in that book into an overall picture that you can keep in your mind so that you begin to understand Scripture on not just a microscopic level with um, you know, a bunch of maybe messages you've heard in the past, and, and uh, <clears throat> your, your view of the Bible ends up being something like a shotgun pattern with random holes, little holes in a piece of paper. Uh, we're getting ready for turkey season coming up here in the not too distant future. And uh, one of the things we do is we get a nice picture of a turkey and with a target around it, and we stand back 40 yards away and, uh, you know, load in a a turkey load and prepared to get whacked in the shoulder because that's what it's gonna do to you. Those turkey loads are brutal. And so we uh, aim for the head, pull the trigger, bam, And then we go up and we look, well, did enough pellets hit that turkey target so that it's a dead turkey if we run across one? And the last couple weeks on my cell camera that sits out in the Sumter National Forest, I've been getting almost daily turkeys walking by my camera. All right, we're going to be ready. But see, that, that pattern of shot is just random. You don't want to see little concentrations of lots of pellets hitting only one spot. You want it to be uniformly distributed in a certain area on the target. So what I'm arguing is that uh, our knowledge of scripture ought not to be like that, like all those little holes in that turkey target, um, just kind of random, stochastic way of distributing themselves around with no pattern much no we we want to think about the scripture in laser focus okay do you know you can bounce laser beams off the moon and back that's (laughs) that's a pretty tight cohesive beam of light right there and we need to realize okay when we're in any portion of the old or new testament What is God's laser beam focus that he is teaching us through this passage? How did what came before this develop what is now coming? As we look at the overall progressive revelation of God in the scripture, how does this passage fit that? Does that sound easy to you? No, 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 it's not easy, it requires diligent study. Do you love to study God's Word? Uh, wow, what a privilege we have. But let's not just mindlessly study it, because Deuteronomy 6 4 and 5 tells us that we need to devote uh, ourselves to the Lord with all our mind, with all our uh, soul and with all our strength. Wow, that's a pretty amazing task. And part of that devotion to the Lord means we delight when God has communicated his word to us, we delight to expend whatever effort it takes to understand it and to put it in a practice in our lives and to do so in such a way is consistent of what the Holy Spirit intended for that portion of his word to do. What I'm going to argue here is that the book of Leviticus is all about concerning holiness is essential in being in God's presence. Notice, please, the purpose of all the Levitical legislation is not just to put some heavy burden on people, you know, okay people, you're going to remember all these minute details here of all these sacrifices, and I just want to see if you're that good. No, no. This is the way, sacrifice is the way we are fit for holiness. What is holiness? It's a growing uh, conformity, to the infinite perfections of God's character. And the, we only know what those perfections are as we study the scripture. But you see, he is not going to be having fellowship with people who aren't matching his holiness. You say, wait a minute, that's impossible. How could we match God's holiness? There's no way. He's God. He's infinite. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. So we need a righteousness, a holiness that is beyond what we're capable of in our own selves. And there comes the idea of grace that permeates the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is an exposition of God's grace from the first verse to the last. We recognize there's no way I can approach a holy God. How would I do that? How would I know how to do it? How would I be qualified to draw near to him? But he, the perfect holy God, tabernacled among us. And in the Old Testament, that's a picture that's going to finally be fulfilled. Well, the process of fulfillment includes the statement of John chapter 1. That Christ has tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory as of the the only glory of the Father. Full of grace and truth. What a privilege we have. Of seeing the way the Old Testament Torah, the first five books of the Bible, inform us about the fulfillment of all the rest of scripture. The Torah is foundational to everything that happens later. All right, so what a privilege we have. So holiness is essential for being in God's presence. We have none of our own. We have to to rely on God's grace to allow us into his presence. All right, we've already seen God can dwell with mankind only through holy sacrifice. Chapters 1 through 7. We learned all the details of all the major sacrifices and how they fit mankind for fellowship With a holy God. Wonderful passages of Scripture. Point two: holy sacrifice can be offered only by holy priests. And we saw the details of all the priests' ordination to their ministry, we uh, saw the, the minute detail of their maintaining their position of holiness as they were very, very scrupulous in their keeping of every aspect of what God intended for them. No no small deviation allowed. And we also saw the example of two individuals, two priests, who didn't care about those stipulations. We said, well, it's probably due to the fact <clears throat> that they were inebriated when they went in to do their temple service or their tabernacle service. But that's no, that's no excuse. They shouldn't have been inebriated if they took their duties seriously. And what did they do? Well, we argued that they came directly into the Holy of Holies instead of ministering outside in the holy place, Because only their dad, Aaron, could come into the uh, the tabernacle and go into the Holy of Holies. And he could only do that on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. One day a year. And not without sacrifice. And it had to be exactly the sacrifice that God specified. And we, we look at what happened with Nadab and Abihu And we think to ourselves, we conclude, God is serious, very, very serious about the lives of those who serve him. No other conclusion we can come to. Those two young men apparently didn't care as much as they should have cared uh, about how to approach a holy God. Point three. Holy priests teach discernment. Chapters 11 through 15. That's where we are now. We're at the point where we're going to take a look at what they taught concerning how we have to lead a discerning lifestyle. All right, have you ever thought about how many choices we make in one day about how the Lord wants us to make discerning choices? What are we going to spend our money on? What are we, How are we going to spend our time? We all get the same amount of time. <clears throat> it's easy for us just to say, well, great, I've got all afternoon, I can do anything I want. And uh, what I want is fill in the blank without thinking what is the best use of my time for God's glory. That takes discernment. Uh, You know, we have got all kinds of choices to make. Where am I going to work? Whom shall I marry? Uh, How shall I raise my children? Thousands of choices we have. Every single day. And the book of Leviticus in chapters 11 through 15 helps us to understand we had better uh, make sure that we are making discerning choices, that our choices are informed by the word of God and not by what we want to do naturally, not by what a friend is telling us we ought to do, Although, if he's a good friend, maybe he you know he's steering us the right way, but maybe not. all right, so we're talking now <clears throat> about laws of purity and impurity. now, these laws don't necessarily refer to what's sinful and not sinful all right I mean sometimes that somebody becomes unclean through a sinful choice. But we're going to see in chapter 12, they apply to what happens after a woman gives birth to a child. Anything wrong with a woman giving birth to a child? Well, what do you think, Audrey? Anything wrong with that? You've recently had the experience? Of course not. Birth of a child is joyous. Just ask David. There he is with his little granddaughter, and he's happy as a clam, and everybody's happy. But even childbirth had consequences and could bring impurity, as we see it in many of our versions, could cause the new mother to be uh, unclean. Not referring to physical dirt, but rather <clears throat> being in a condition where. There had to be following a set of rules so that that new mother could rejoin the worshiping community in the tabernacle and worshiping God with those who were in a pure state. So uh, let's get into chapter 12. Remember, and we've observed this and I'll probably observe it more than one time in the future, Remember that everything associated with birth and death made a person or could make a person unclean. And by implication, everything between birth and death could make you unclean. For instance, we've already seen the laws of cleanness and uncleanness in chapter 11. You eat the wrong thing. You have a ham sandwich for lunch if you're an Israelite and you are unclean. What's wrong with a ham sandwich? Well, it's what God said they couldn't eat. They couldn't even touch a pig. And so you ever wonder, by the way, when we're in the Gospels and uh, <clears throat> the, uh, that demon-possessed guy uh, has the, the demon cast out of him by the Lord and uh, the, the, the unclean spirits enter into pigs And they run downhill and they are drowned in in the Sea of Galilee. But what was somebody doing with a flock or a herd herd of pigs? What good were those? They couldn't eat them. They couldn't touch them. They couldn't pet them, having them as, as pets. They were good for nothing. Except what? To be drowned in the sea. Because you don't want to be unclean from that. All right, so everything in life has the uh, ability or the, the consequence of making us impure. And God wanted us, his people to stay f- as far away as they could from anything that would make them uh, impure. But how in the world do you avoid the impurity of giving birth? Oh, that's that's something it's impossible to avoid. So let's go to Leviticus chapter twelve and verses one and following. <clears throat> Verse one, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean. Seven days. All right. Then we have in verse four, then she shall continue, or the, and on the eighth day, the flesh of this male child's foreskin shall be circumcised. So, what's the purpose of these initial days of impurity? Well, <clears throat> on the eighth day, she goes back to the tap- tabernacle. She is able to take her child present him for circumcision and we know circumcision was the mark of the inclusion into the Old Testament community of believers was essential for all males to go through this but then notice verse 4 then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. So apparently then, there is one day, the eighth day, when she can present her child, and then for another 33 days, no way, she can't go to the tabernacle. All right, so uh, what about though Notice the next verse in verse uh, 5. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her uh, uh, monthly period. She shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. Everything is lengthened by twice as much as when the woman has a female child as when she has a male child. So we ask ourselves the question why is that? Not easy to answer that question. As a matter of fact you can read a lot of different commentators and they struggle to come up with a compelling reason for this twice as long period of being impure after bearing a daughter. So. Can anybody think of a possible reason for this? Think. I know I'm putting on, and and I'm not really putting you on the spot because if you'll remember, this was the last question (laughs) that we asked ourselves uh, the time I got to to teach one day when uh, Brian was working on campus that day. All right, so you've had weeks to come up with a possible answer. Anybody want to venture a guess? Aha! I knew it. Cynthia would have a an answer. Okay, that is among commentators probably one of the best guesses. So does it does it have anything to do with Eve? And the answer to that is yes, probably. So, Cynthia, what did Eve do uh, that would uh, account for this twice as long period of giving birth to a girl? Okay, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, what does Paul tell Timothy is, um, is what, happened, what happened to Eve that didn't happen to Adam? She was what? Deceived. Okay, but Adam went into sin with his eyes wide open, but Eve was deceived. So some commentators think that this reflects the curse on Eve. She was to have pain in childbirth, and uh, so as a part of that curse, we would have uh, that she uh, has to spend twice as long in her impurity when she gives birth to a child. I don't know, that's, that doesn't really totally satisfy me. Why would I say that? Why do you think that's not totally satisfying? Well, what was there about a, a, chi- a girl child different from a boy child? And of course, I guess it could be that if it's a girl, then you're anticipating that she's going to uh, still struggle with being deceived, I, I guess, you know, Paul does say let the woman re- remain silent, and that, by the way, that doesn't apply to our su- Sunday school class, <laughs> 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 because that's, it's apparent that later on the Lord, uh, Paul says that she must not usurp authority in teaching or preaching, in such in a mixed group, such as uh, would. Uh, She'd be usurping authority and doing things that only a man should is qualified to do. But I think it's probably a little bit more on target to say the two times longer period of uncleanness may reflect the reality that bearing a female child means that this child will likely be a mother someday too. Makes sense then that because of the fact that not only is the woman unclean through childbirth, but the one she is bearing would be unclean someday in childbirth, so the period of her impurity lasts twice as long. Can I insist on that? Say, no, that's the, that's the reason you can't believe anything else. No, I'm not, I'm not sure that that's uh, the best ex- explanation, but it's the best I can come up with. Have pity on me, I've, I deal with these things all week long, you know, and come up with the best thing I can. Note, though, that there's no difference in the offerings the mother makes for her boy or, the, or her girl. The offerings to restore her to uh, the state of purity, uh, which includes a, a lamb, and if she wasn't uh, well off enough financially, she could bring two turtle doves. All right, so, but anyway, that's the same for the boy or girl. I, and that's, that's, of course, indicative of the fact that, you know, a child being born is always a joyous event, worthy of celebration. The fact that childbirth brought ritual impurity does not change that joy all right so there's there's joy even in a state of impurity that lasts a while but once again when the new mother brings sacrifice to the tabernacle after she has been uh, cleansed from her impurity uh, it's the same for a boy or a girl and the mother is going to have the same reaction to this Look how gracious God is. Even though I've brought another child into this world, a child who is a sinner, boy, that's a tough thing to accept, isn't it? I can remember when our first son was born, our first boy was, our first child was a boy, and I looked at him and I thought, I know better than this, but maybe... This kid has escaped the curse of Adam. I thought, maybe he'll be sin-free. Well, guess what? It didn't take very long until I was entirely disabused of that hope. Had a a sin nature just like I have, just like everyone has. And now he's got to be disciplined. Uh... And I think if you knew him today, you'd be pleased with what the Lord's done uh, in that regard. But, (laughs) you know, that's the way it is. Every child is going to manifest uh, that that sin nature eventually. But it doesn't change our joy of seeing that new one come into the world. Now, the Old Testament sometimes... Makes a correlation between ritual impurity and moral impurity. An example of that: Well, we have three verses here. Actually, Psalm 24 verses 3 through 4, Isaiah 1:16 and 17, and uh, Numbers chapter 12. What happened in Numbers chapter 12? Well, here's <clears throat> here are uh, here's Miriam. And she gets to feeling like, hey, has the Lord only spoken through my brother Moses? You know, why can't uh, Aaron and I have a, a uh, say? Why can't we be leaders like Moses is? And I mean, here my brother married a Cushite woman. He shouldn't have done that. And uh, so we've got a beef against Moses. And then the Lord uh, shows up, make his, makes his appearance, and he says, Now look, how is it that you could be bold, so bold as to say, uh, to speak against Moses, my chosen leader? But because you've done this, he says, You're, you're going to be uh, leprous. You're going to have a skin disease, Mir- Miriam. And so uh, Moses intercedes for her. Her period of leprosy, we'll talk about what leprosy is when we get to chapter 13. Uh, her period of, of leprosy was diminished, she was cured, but she learned her lesson. You don't rebel against what God has ordained. Uh, you, you're, not gonna, you're not going to be a little rebel and get away with it. So there's one instance at least when we can see, and there are others too, think of King Uzziah. He uh, wants to offer sacrifice. The, pre, the high priest says, nope, sorry, uh, not going to do that. That's not your prerogative as a king. So forget it. But uh, Uzziah points at him, and uh, apparently Uzziah is about to consign him to the pit or. the the gallows. Anyway, uh, leprosy breaks out on Uzziah and he spends the rest of his life uh, unfit for fellowship with God's people and he has to live in a separate place and be like other lepers and cry out unclean, unclean. So, So there are several examples of this. This means that God's instruction of Israel being Fastidious concerning ritual impurity in the Old Testament should remind us in the New Testament of the correspondingly important aspect of being right morally. Okay, so if you would please turn to Second Corinthians chapter two, and I think what we have here is we have uh, a direct. Uh, look back by the Apostle Paul at this very concept of cleanness and uncleanness. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning to read in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. All right, so what's a yoke? What's this a picture of? Well, in Deuteronomy, God told his people, I don't want you plowing with different animals hooked up together in the same yoke. Uh, this this is abhorrent. This is against my plan for you. You can have two oxen yoked together or two donkeys yoked together or whatever you'd like to yoke together as long as they're equal. They're the same animal. Uh, so for what... Partnership, that's the word uh, uh, for fellowship, koinonia in the New Testament. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord or agreement has Christ with Belial, uh, a term for the devil himself by the first century? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has a temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Of course, this is the promise from Exodus that that God gave his people. And then in Leviticus, we see the working out of how God's, tabernacle could be with his people and he can fellowship with them and they with him and there can be this wonderful condition of ritual purity therefore verse 17 says therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them says the Lord and touch no what unclean thing. Then I will will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. All right, so clearly the Apostle Paul is drawing on this Levitical concept of being separate from what God says to be separate from so that we not be in a condition of uncleanness, ritual impurity. That's still a concept as believers today that we need to be aware of. Now, that doesn't mean we have to quit eating pork because God declared all unclean things to be clean. But when it comes morally to getting too close and linked up with unbelievers... In the work of the ministry, this is is not something that the Lord is going to allow his people to do. And so these are important concepts that apply yet today. I would argue that Paul's application of separation from sinners in the work of the ministry has its corresponding root in Leviticus Chapters 11 through 15, the laws of cleanness and uncleanness. And this is something we still need to be concerned about today. Are we maintaining a, a discernment between belief and unbelief? Between who knows the Lord and who doesn't know the Lord? And that's, that's going to be vital for us All right, any questions, comments? Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for your word and for the uh, instruction that it is for us. Help us this day, I pray, to be discerning in everything in our lives that it would please you and to uh, walk with you and to love you and to thank you for the grace that you've shown us in Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.